And then this morning, our Jesus, what an amazing Savior. I think um, this is a day where many people remember His death. Uh, We know He's risen from the dead, and we remember Him every day. But this is a day that the world takes particular attention to remember what Jesus has done. And uh, when I think about the life of Jesus, the way He wanted to be remembered was like this, around a table, around a meal. Uh, You remember how He said to His disciples, do this in remembrance of Me. And so I think we don't want to just remember a good man. We want to remember Jesus for what He's done and the incredible work He's done on the cross. And so this morning you can see we're going to do communion together. We're going to actually start off that way. Um, But before we do that, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. And we're just going to quieten ourselves for a moment, listen to that passage of Scripture, and then uh, the meal Jesus had with His disciples was bread and wine, which represented His body that was broken for us, His blood that was shed for us. And that's exactly what we're going to do in a moment. And so we're going to read a whole chapter. How's that? We are going to do things a bit differently this morning, but that's cool. That's, we're happy with that. We're going to put up the Scripture. We're going to read it nice and slow. And then you're going to take the bread, break bread together with those at the table. You're going to take the, the grape juice, snow wine, kids, and, uh, which represents His blood. And we're going to just take a moment to thank Him for that and then pray for each other. Is that cool? So Isaiah 53, let's read it together. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shearers, he was silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who in his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, He was punished, and he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, 
because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with transgressors. For he bore the sin of the many and made intercession for the transgressors. What a powerful portion of scripture. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take the bread and break it with those at your table. Take the grape juice. We celebrate Jesus like this. this is how we're going to start, by remembering him. And let's pray for each other. If you can just chat around your table, pray for each other. Let's break bread together. <laughs> Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus and uh, not just what you did at one time. You know, sometimes, Lord God, on days like this, when the world mark them, they might feel like it's a little duty, Lord. It's a token of appreciation for a good man who did something good at some point. But we know it's so much more. We know, Lord God, on that day, you opened up the floodgates of heaven and you flooded our hearts with your love and your mercy and your grace. And you removed, Lord God, an obstacle that we had absolutely no hope of removing. You changed everything on that day. And so, Lord, we don't just honor you on a day. We don't just remember you like it's your birthday or it's a day to just honor you. Lord, we, as your people today, we give you, Lord God, our worship and our praise and our, the, every breath that we have because what you did for us is something phenomenal. It's something amazing. It's something incredible. And so, Lord, as your people today, we know that the world takes this one day to remember it. But, Lord, for us, we are super grateful every single day of our lives, Lord. It is not just on this day that our sins are forgiven. Lord, you have forever and ever written off our sin, our guilt, our shame. Forever you have seated us with Christ in heavenly places. Lord, this is an incredible, incredible work. And as we survey just a little bit today, what that work on the cross means for us, I pray for a fresh revelation, Jesus, in our hearts of how amazing it is to live under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, forgiven, saved, healed, delivered, a hope and a future in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So this morning, the message I have for you is simply entitled this question, what's so good about Good Friday? And uh, as it was probably first called God Friday. Um, I think there are uh, many people who have done good things. And we have our own Nelson Mandela who did a great job of of doing good things in our country. And you know the 18th of July is Nelson Mandela Day. It's when we remember a good man who did good things. And many people will take that particular day and try and do something good. Take your books to the library, for example. Not the books that are outstanding, but your extra books. You know, take food to the poor. Try and emulate something on that particular day about that good person who did something good in history. And when we think of Good Friday, I think it's very easy to think that, you know, Jesus falls into that category. He was a good man. I, I think there are very few people that would disagree that he wasn't a good man. But my question is just, does his death 
maybe implicate my life in some way? And is there a greater demand than just on a particular day to do something good, show this token of appreciation to Jesus who was maybe a good man? I think absolutely so. There was a, a guy called Sir Isaac Watts who wrote this hymn in 1707. I'd like to read it to us because it, it sums up um, a lot of what we want to say this morning. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them through His blood. See from His head, His hands, His feet, Sorrow and love flowed mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? With the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present, far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I think when we survey the cross, and I want to challenge you to survey the cross. It's there marked in the history of mankind. You can go and survey it. And, and to survey means to examine closely, have a close look at the cross. And you will notice that, yes, it was a day of incredible sadness and incredible sorrow. But it was also the best day ever for humanity because sorrow and love met together at that point in time. And... Um, Man, I think that work that Jesus did doesn't just demand a token of my appreciation. It demands my life, my soul, my all. And so a couple of questions just quickly as we do a short survey. The first thing I want to ask is who is Jesus? You know, when you look at a death, you want to find out more. You ask these questions, you survey them. And uh, what were the circumstances? Was it a natural death that we're remembering today? Was it an accident? Is it just something that happened to Jesus? Um, and the first question is, who is Jesus? Well, as Sir Isaac said, he, had, he was the Prince of Glory. He was the Christ, and he even calls him God. And so the first thing we have to understand is the death of Jesus wasn't an ordinary death. Because he wasn't an ordinary person. This, friends, was the Son of of God. And we read that in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16, some of the people that walked close to Jesus on earth, um, there was one point where this revelation came to them. And Peter was one of them in verse 16 of Matthew 16. He answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not true revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And that means that Jesus, as the Christ, he had the complete approval of heaven. He had no sin, perfect. And I know we always talk about this kind of in the negative way. He didn't have any sin. But actually, it was more than that. He was perfect in righteousness, perfect in justice, perfect in beauty, perfect in love, perfect in patience, all at the same time. And besides that, he had all power. He had all knowledge. He had all authority. This is the Jesus who we're talking about, the Son of God. In Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were born, you, 
before you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so when we talk about the death of Jesus, this is who we are talking about, the Christ, the Son of God. And I want to say the fact that He came as a human being and veiled that glory does not in any way mean that He wasn't the Son of God at the same time. You remember that moment when um, the disciples were praying with Jesus up on the mountain, and for a moment, his, the veil was just taken off, and His glory shone through. In Matthew 17, verse 2, it says, There He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and His, his clothes became white as the light. I don't know when last you've tried to look into the sun. But can you imagine the face of Jesus a couple of meters away from you shining with the glory of the sun? This is who Jesus was. And what he did was his glory was veiled by taking on the form of a human being. It was like a veil he had put over his glory. But he was the son of God. And at the same time, the son of man, as Philippians chapter 2 tells us, he who... Being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Can you imagine the humility of God? The God of the universe to veil himself with a body of human likeness. This is Jesus and it says here, being in very nature God, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And so when we remember this day, we're not just remembering an ordinary man who was a good man who did something good. We are remembering the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and his death. The second thing I just want to say quickly this morning is we've got to consider if we want to survey the cross, we want to consider the place that Jesus came to die and the condition and the circumstances of that place. If you've watched any of the new um, pictures coming back from that telescope they've sent into space, you will realize the universe is massive and it is glorious. And out of all the places in the whole universe, the one place that the Son of God decided to come and die is this tiny pale blue dot we call earth. It's humanity. Outside a small city on a hill, the Son of God, veiled in His glory, suffered a, a murderous death of crucifixion on a cross at the hands of sinful man. We have to understand this death is no ordinary death. Do you know in John chapter 1 verse 10, we have to realize that something had happened to us as a human race by that point. In John 1 verse 10, he came to the very world he had created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Something had happened. Can you imagine coming to your own family and them rejecting you and murdering you? God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, veiled his glory, took on the, the, the form of a human being, came to that which he had created, and we put him on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem. Something had happened 
Something had changed. What was it? Well, Romans 5 verse 12 tells us, somehow in our world, somehow in our, in our humanity, sin had come in. In Romans 5 verse 12 it says, therefore just as sin entered the world. The reason the world he created no longer recognized him is because sin had entered the world. And you know when sin comes, what follows after sin is death. It says there, and through one man, a death came through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. You know that the wages of sin is death. I was speaking to a man two or three weeks ago who suffered a major tragedy, and um, he was very angry with God. And what he said is, he said he's obviously wrestling through some of this, and we're having this conversation trying to talk through this. And he said, I know that we sinned and everything, but he knew that, and surely we don't deserve this. Talking about the tragedy. And I think that we still make the same mistake that Adam made in the beginning. We, we underestimate the power of sin because when you let sin in, you let death in. And the power of sin is death. And what had happened to our world, we don't realize it, but, but sin had entered. Through one man, sin had come and sin had spread to everybody. And so the place Jesus died was a world where sin had entered and sin was rampant. And so if you think like, well, that's a small thing. Like this man said to me, yeah, do you, God, can, why does God punish us that heavily for sin? So it's just, surely he, he knew that and it's just a small thing. No, sin opens the door for death. And you have to remember if Jesus Christ, if God is completely perfect, he has to judge sin. And so the place Jesus died in was a world that was under the power of sin. And what does that mean? It means, number one, that we were living under the wrath of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, you know when you're living under the wrath of God, you're as good as a dead man. Because there is no way you can hide. There is no way you can run. There is nothing he doesn't know. There is nothing he doesn't see. There is no power that can rescue you. There's nothing that can save you. Because if you've sinned, you're under the, the judgment and the wrath of God. And Jesus came to a humanity that was under the wrath of God. In Romans 1 verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people. Do you know, he came to a world, we sometimes don't realize we're living under the judgment of God. Some do realize it, and, and, and we don't know what to do with that shame and that guilt. We don't know what to do. But as we survey the cross, we understand that was my condition. It's my condition, living under the wrath of God. Some people just try to ignore this part of God. But the Bible is very clear. God is in His perfection, in His righteousness. Sin cannot continue to exist. The second thing is that there was, a, there was this something about earth that had changed. There was this delusion. And Romans chapter 1 verse 25, I love the way it's, it puts it here. It says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. And here's the lie. They worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself 
He came to a humanity that was in love with everything He made and thought that life consists about everything we can see and touch and feel. Instead, that creation was pointing us to Him, and we had exchanged the truth of God for a lie. He came to an earth where there was this ever-deepening cycle of sin. Sin is a strange thing. Number one, it brings the wrath of God. Number two, it brings deception. Number three, it's an ever-deepening cycle that draws us in that we can't come free from. And in Romans 1, 28, 29, it says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, I think we're living more and more in a society that says it's foolish to acknowledge that God exists. Something is wrong with our thinking. And he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Isn't it a funny thing about sin has taken us as humanity and dragged us down to a place that we do things that should never be done? that's the place that Jesus came and chose to die. That place. The last thing I want to say about sin is here that all have turned away and become useless. No one does good, not even a single one. You know, the, he came to a place where sin was just everywhere. Everywhere. Everyone. Everything. Everywhere. And when it says useless... It's not talking about it in the way we talk about it. But what it means is that for man and humanity, impossible to have an eternity with a God that is perfect. And so no matter what we did in our lives, our lives became meaningless in terms of eternity. That's the place. That's the condition. That's where Jesus chose to come and die. All have turned away. You know when you turned away from something, no matter how far you go, no matter how hard you try, you, you never get closer to God. And so my question today is, what is good about Good Friday? Well, when you realize the condition we were in, and you realize who He is, and you survey the cross, and you see what He's done, It is good news for us. It demands not just a token of, Lord, I'll give you a day where I'll do a little bit of good. It demands my life, my soul, my all. So the last question we want to ask then is, why? Why would the Prince of Glory veil himself, take on the form of humanity, and come to a world that is as rampant with sin, and allow himself to suffer death at the hands 
of fallen mankind. And let me just qualify something here in case we think that, you know, somehow Jesus came to this planet and things didn't work out how he thought and they got out of hand and he's this victim where we somehow killed him. John chapter 10 verse 17 says, the reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. We never took his life. He gave his life. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a natural death. It wasn't us who have this authority to murder the Prince of Glory. It was him choosing to lay down his life for us. You know the way he died, Roman execution, very violent death. He was whipped, he was beaten, his beard was plucked out, he was unrecognizable to his family. And at the same time, you know, he had a crown of thorns on him. He had nails driven through his hands on that cross as he hung there. It was a brutal. Can you imagine the, the prince of glory? The incredible humility and restraint and patience to say, I choose to lay down my life and go through death. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 says, For it was God's will for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all time. What happened to Jesus was not that he was a victim. What happened was that my sin was put on him. My iniquity was put on him. My punishment was put on him. And if you want to make a sacrifice, you, you understand you have to first of all measure sin. You have to measure sin. And so uh, Romans tells us God gave us the law to measure that sin. Um, in verse 19, obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses, and so to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. It's amazing that you cannot even be aware of your sin. And so the reason God gave the law is to show us our sinfulness and to measure our sinfulness so that He could offer Jesus as a sacrifice in our place. I want to ask you this question. Someone you love, your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, your husband. What can a man give in exchange for his life? What sacrifice is worthy? What sacrifice qualifies for the soul of just one other person? And this is when we survey the cross like this, we realize how powerful that sacrifice is. Because when Abraham, you know, uh, when his... He was about to sacrifice his son Isaac. There was a ram caught there, and God gave that ram in the place of one, one person. And then when they left Israel, it was one lamb per family. So I'm asking you, imagine the price for one other person. 
Then imagine what would that sacrifice be for a family of people. And then when Jesus comes along, John says, Behold the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Such power in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that He completely qualifies to remove our sins from us once and for all. As we land this morning, I want you to consider, as we remembered the death of Jesus today, we haven't even spoken about what His resurrection means for us, but just His death, what it means is that all my sin, all my guilt, all my shame, every label you're wearing right now, every label, everything people have put on you, every disaster, every bit of grief, every bit of pain, He's taken it upon Himself at the cross. And if you will meet Him there where love and sorrow meets, you will realize the demands it puts on our lives is simply my life, my soul, my everything. Last two scriptures, Hebrews 10 verse 14. By that one offering, can you imagine how powerful that sacrifice is? His life. His blood. You know the Old Testament says that the life of a creature is in its blood. If you had no blood, you'd have no life. Your, your blood is your life. And He shed His blood. He poured out His blood. He poured out His life on our behalf. Hebrews, 14, uh, Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by one offering He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. I, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. How about that offering He made? He can make me perfect forever. By nothing I do, simply that offering He poured out His life. Perfect forever. What response can I give Him? Romans 4 verse 8, yes, that joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Because of that sacrifice, if I had to stand before God today, for those who believe in Jesus, He'll pull my record. Perfect. I don't understand that. I just know it is so powerful that it demands my life, my devotion, my worship, and my service to Him. And so this morning, I'd like us just to listen to that hymn as we land this. We're going to play that. I want you to think about these words. When I survey the wondrous cross, maybe for you, Easter has been just a time where, hey, we've got to go to church. We've got to remember the cross. Or it's a day on which we, we kind of do something good to remember Jesus. But today, as we've just We've just touched on the surface, the survey. You've realized this death is no ordinary death. This is no ordinary person. What it means for us today is that He's taken our sin upon Himself. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. I pour contempt on all my pride. 
Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them through His blood. Maybe today, the things you're chasing after, the things you're running after, you need to lay them down at the cross. Maybe today on your boasting and your pride, you've got to pour some content. Let's enjoy as we listen to this. Thank you, Alex. Just take a moment. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of glory died, my riches This morning, you're reminding us not to take for granted what you've done. Lord, as we examine closely the cross, our own lives, 
who you are. Just eternally grateful. Lord, if there is anyone here this morning, anyone, who's not experienced the liberty and the freedom of meeting you there at the cross, we know you're not on the cross anymore. You've done it once for all. You've risen from the dead. But Lord, without the cross, it would not be possible for us to know you. And without your sacrifice, there would be no way of us having a relationship with you. And so, Lord, my prayer today is if there's anyone like that, that today we'd open our hearts and realize, Lord, your demands are not unreasonable at all. You've given so much more than we can ever give. You've loved us. <clears throat> Through your Son, Jesus Christ, you've loved the world. And Lord, we can't help but love you back. We're forever grateful to you, Lord. I pray for anybody, Lord, this morning that is carrying guilt or shame or fear or anxiety or any label or anything that's put on them. Thank you, Lord, that at the cross, our old life is put to death. And you give us a new life, as we'll hear on Sunday. May we live in that new life, the resurrection power of Jesus, until you come again. We honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So let's enjoy the, the time together. The youngsters are going to come to your table and serve you. There is some... Croissants, thank you for everybody at the back and the trouble they've gone through. Don't rush off. If, unless you have to. I know Henry and Anne are in demand. They've got to leave to see family. But let's stay. Let's enjoy. We'll make cappuccinos. The breakfast will come to you. And uh, God bless you. Have an amazing day. We are meeting on Sunday morning, 9 o'clock as usual. So we'll see you on Sunday. Have an awesome weekend.